0: Yes, we do. We're going to pick up with a section of of Romans today that I'm looking forward to getting into. We'll finish out chapter 7, get into chapter 8. Just some really powerful stuff. Um, It's been a crazy week. It it seems like they all are. Um, But I'll start this morning. I know um, Dennis McCarty told me that um, Pastor Volker is going to potentially need some surgery, and it's heart-related, and there's just some questions around, can, can the surgery be done, can it not be done? You know, I knew him a lot, for a, long, a lot of years, and uh, I always knew him as the guy who um, you have to be real careful around when he shakes your hand. I have, I have small hands, and he would just he'd be like, Hi, Luke! I'd be like, Oh! <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I know he has, he, has, he has big hands and he has a big heart, and uh, so I'll start with a prayer. That just uh, lifts he, him and his family up. Also, want to lift up um, our schools, both Trinity and uh, Heartland. I got to talk to uh, um, Pastor Snowberger yesterday and Brendel Meyer. Just in that process of okay, it's always hard when you go through transition at the end of the year because you're like, well, we got to start in a new year soon. So I want to lift them up as they're doing that work. Lord, as we uh, begin, we begin in your name just uh, coming before you on behalf of uh, Pastor Bill and his dear family. I know it's a scary time. Uh, our hearts, um, are, they just, Lord, we, we, we know how vulnerable we are at any moment. And so as they are looking at what needs to be done, uh, make the pathway clear. Lord, uh, give to him confidence that you are with him. And Lord, we're just going to lift up and pray that uh, there can be a surgery and that it can be successful and uh, we'll put pastor bill into your hands this morning i want to lift up uh, uh trinity lutheran heartland as they're going through transitions and those are hard too <clears throat> in their own way and so lord bless the uh, the work of the committees that are <clears throat> now at work trying to uh to uh, get some some help and lord i know you will supply in your time and in your way we're going to begin this day just recognizing that you're present. You're present uh, in our lives. And certainly through this word, God bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. Amen. I'm going to take you back to uh, some words that we underlined last week because I think they're so significant theologically. Chapter 7 is probably most famous for this scene where Paul acknowledges and admits that we all go through these wrestling matches in our lives. Uh, we feel it. Uh, if we could sit down and have conversations with each other, uh, we, would, we would acknowledge it. I would say to you, hey, uh, do you ever feel like you, you, you get to this place where you say to God, God, I'm not going to do this anymore, or God, I'm going to put this away in my life. And then you do for just a little while, and then guess what? You're back into it. And that wrestling match never seems to go away. Do you experience that? Well, most people will sit down with you, and if they can be honest, will tell you, yeah, here's here's something that just seems to just take hold of me, and I just have a difficult time beating it. And and the reality is you can't. You cannot overcome it. And so I had you underline in verse 18 uh, just a few words that, that I think have such deep theological significance. Uh, Paul is saying, I had the desire to do what is right. When he says right, we're talking about that which is of God's will. I have a desire to do that. But here's the other side of that equation not the ability to carry it out. And he's going to continue that <clears throat> through the rest of this uh, chapter to its end. And uh, he's trying to, 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 to recognize just the battle that we have. Uh, the greater context of this, of course, he's talking about the role of the law in our lives. And he's acknowledging, listen, I can see the law. The law is good. It tells me to do these things. This is what God's calling me to. I want to do them, but I, I don't have the ability to carry it out. Um, verse number 21, let's jump down to that, as, and we'll start this, this last section. He says, so I find it to be a law <clears throat> that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Man, that's that's true, isn't it? I find that this to be a law. So right now, here's something that I I picked this coffee cup up. Um, Fritz tells me, are you actually going to take a sip out of that coffee cup today? Watch this. Got one in. What if I took this coffee cup and I just dropped it? What's going to happen? The laws of nature will kick in. It's going to fall down, and it's going to crash, and we're going to have ladies really mad at me because I will have coffee all over their floor. Um, it's a law, right? And so what he's saying here is that here's a law, is those days that you say, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I desire to do what God is calling me to do." Evil lies close at hand. That's a law. That's a guarantee. Uh, I've watched this happen so many times in my own life and the lives of other people that you just, you come to recognize, yes, this, this absolutely is a law. So I can picture this morning, I was thinking about this and here comes Russ and he's got a big smile on his face and he's walking up to me. Russ was a guy, uh, that, that I, I just loved to death, uh, worked through issues, problems in his life, kind of got to a place where he was doing pretty well, working for Duncan Aviation. And uh, here he came up to me and he says to me, hey, he says, guess what? Last week, my wife and I, we got together. We made this, we just kind of pulled together for the first time in our lives. We said, we're going to tithe. I said, Russ, that's awesome. And he still had this great big smile on his face. And he goes, and yesterday I got fired. I never forget that moment and looking at him because my heart just went. I was like elated. Like, oh my goodness, this is an incredible moment. You're going to do this. This is something you're... Bloom. I find this to be a law. Now, here's what the devil doesn't mind. He doesn't mind you playing around with Christianity. Doesn't mind that at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do... But when you... Literally, when the Spirit drives you to a place of conviction... You know what, I'm, I'm going to spend some time in the Word regularly. A law, guarantee you, watch out, evil is at hand. We'll try to do whatever I can to do what? Keep you from living out that conviction. And so Paul, Paul is saying, here, here not only do I not have the ability to carry out what God's calling me to do. But when I when I get to these places of conviction, and I'm like, no, by golly goes, this is going to be a part of my life. I am going to do this. I'm making a change now. This is once and for, I'm drawing the line in the sand. Here's the law. Evil is close at hand. And if you try to make that change in your own power and strength, guaranteed you won't do it. It will not happen. It will not happen. Uh, so... Um, Paul is taking this word "law" now, and I want you to start to kind of subtly see this. He's shifting its usage. He's shifting its usage. Well, thank you, Diane. Thank you. I can't drink that either, can I? <laughs> it's got a stopper in us. So it'll stay hot. That's good. All right. Okay. So then, here, then he goes to verse um, 22. He says, "For I delight in the law of God." We should. We should delight in the law of God. Uh, the, the psalmist David, he says. We should meditate upon the law of the day, uh, of the Lord night and day. Um, Meditates on it. Luther, you know, spent a lot of time. In fact, Luther's the guy who said, uh, for me, uh, the way way he lived out his devotional life, he would take the Ten, Ten Commandments and he would meditate on them. I mean, you would just walk through them. Like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind. How is that happening in my life right now? What am I really in love with? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it isn't God. All your heart. Do I give them all my heart? I don't give them all my heart. I give them part of my heart. My soul. Love them with my soul. Do I have a soul deep love with God? My mind. What has my mind been thinking about? I'm getting all lost over here. And uh, he'd meditate on it. And, and guess what? The psalmist says, that's a good thing to do. It should be a delight. Not this, like, I told you to do that. That's not the law. The law, remember, are what? Meant to be what? Words of life. If, if you live these words out, they're going to bring you joy in life. They're going to bring you peace in life. They're going to bring you prosperity in your relationships with one another and with God delight in it. And Paul's saying that. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He knows the law to its depth. He says, I delight in the Lord in my, inner son, in my inner being. Here's the problem. There's a war going on. My members wage war against what's going on. It's in here, joy, yes, Lord. What am I doing with my hands? What am I doing with my mouth? What am I doing with my eyes? What am I doing with my mind? There's a war that's going on. By the way, just a side note. I really like this. Um, this term, waging war. So, so we read it this way. I see in my members another law. This is a law at work. Waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That word for um, waging war is really kind of an interesting word. Um, I don't know if you can see this, but... It literally would translate anti-strategy, anti-strategy. In other words, we are looking at God's law saying, hey, here's my plans. Here's how I want to live this out. Our enemy is saying, I've got a strategy against your strategy. I'm going to take your strategy and pull it apart. Now, always remember this, the the enemy, i.e. Satan and his crew of fallen angels is unable to know he doesn't know what you think. He can't see inside of your mind. He, he doesn't know what you hold in your heart. He's only able to observe you, right? He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. But he, he's a very good hunter. And as a hunter, you observe your prey. And so when he's observing us, he's able to note, ah, make a note here. This seems to be a good strategy for Steve Speece. I'm going to use this one because it seems to work pretty well. Oh, Ron Bonero. A little bit different strategy, but I think we got Ron right here. And what Paul is recognizing is, man, in this, this war that's going on, I'm delighting in the law. I want to do a God knows. There's this anti-strategy going on against me and all of a sudden I find myself what captive to the law of sin. I'm stuck. I can't change it. I want to change it. I want to be a different person. I can't be it I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I have tried and i have tried and i tried and i can not be it and so he cries out and verse 24 is a cry and we read, we read it too often we read it in church wrong I mean we get up there in, in the pulpit and we're like wretched man that I am no he's crying out it's like just at the, there's a guttural cry it's, it's, it's in that it's in that place where no one else sees you but God and it's with tears that you're yelling out. I'm so broken. I so want to change. And I'm so broken because I cannot change. Wretched man that I am. It's, it's not self-flagation. He's not trying to beat himself up. He's not trying to, I'm a victim here. It's just that guttural cry that comes when the spirit is inside of us and we can see so plainly who we are. And It hurts it hurts, it should hurt, it's meant to hurt it's meant to take us to this place where we we realize uh, who, who, what am I going to do? what am I going to do? Um, interesting question when you get serious about this scripture um, have this conversation with, with another Christian have you ever been there? Uh, have you ever gotten to that place? it's interesting, I've, I've talked to people who will say to me well no, not really Okay i've had people go, oh, yeah i've been there down to the i'm at the bottom, and there's no way out i 'm so stuck quite often um, it takes loss to get us there um, but when God gets you there it's not a bad day it's a good day it's that moment where i'm i'm ready to change um I mean, this is not the best example of it, but I've worked with a number of, of people who are, are stuck in in, in dr- their, a drug addiction. And uh, when you're talking to someone, you're trying to assess, you know, are you at a place where, wretched man that I am, you know, I, I've, I, I, I have to have help, or you're not. And uh, you don't love the person less if they're not, but you recognize they're not. And... Um, and you actually pray, and it's the hardest prayer you ever pray. You actually pray, okay, God, take them to that place. Take them on that journey to that place. Because until they get to that place, there's no, there's no help. help and they're not going to get out of it. You're stuck in that, that trap. We can read this at a distance and say, yeah, that's, this, this applies to Paul and someone else. This applies to every one of us. We reach this moment, wretched man that I am. And now the question, who will deliver me? from this body of death i'm stuck in this dilemma this war i can't win it who will deliver me from it there's the recognition i can't get out of the trap i have to be delivered from it someone from outside has to come and rescue me and of course he's answering that question thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord who who is that sets us free well it's jesus And he closes then this chapter with these words, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I'm always in this battle. What does that battle mean for us? Well, as, as Lutheran Christians, we've come to really take hold of this truth, this battle language, and translate it into what I like to call daily rhythms of life, spiritually. Uh, I use these words. What is authentic Christianity? And and I'm just going to be real honest with you. So much of what I hear in evangelical circles, to me, is not authentic Christianity. It's fake, because it's built upon the premise that I can obey God. It's built on that premise. I can obey God, and so most of most of the preaching, the teaching, comes at you that way. Look, this is what God said you should be. You should be that. And it, it kind of gets into you and you're like, Yeah, yeah, I, I that's what I need to be. Now, most evangelicals say you need God's help, he'll help you. Kind of like he sits in the in the co pilot seat. You you do it and he'll help you. Ask him in he'll help you. No, that's not that's not authentic. Authentic is I can't I can't do it at all in any way. I don't even want to do it. I I I actually I serve the law of death. That's how bad it is. I'm stuck in it. To get authentic is to recognize that the only way that I live out what is right in my life is through a spirit who, he changes me. It's causative, right? There's a a power at work in me that causes me to become a different person. This battle, Luther would teach, is a daily rhythm. There needs to be daily death and daily rising. Daily death, daily rising. And until you have that daily death, daily rising, then you you will, at an, at an, on any given day, do what? Come back into patterns of sin. Uh, for me, if there's a chapter of Scripture that really gives you a great picture of authentic Christianity and what it looks like and what it means... Uh, You find it in the Psalms, and uh, I've always said Psalm 51 has to be one of those um, prayers in Scripture that we, you know, it would be good to just lift it up every single day. Every single day it would be good to lift up Psalm 51. Right, if you look at the words there, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but I'll highlight parts of it. I mean, it starts with these words, same kind of words. That wretched man cry, have mercy on me, God, and have your mercy on me according to what? Your steadfast love. David recognizes that God doesn't just crush us. and He should, but he doesn't. He has what? He has covenantal love for us. I've made a covenant that I won't just crush you but that I, I, I desire to love you. And, and so David says, have mercy on me according to that covenant of love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. That's baptismal language. Can you hear it? That's why Luther said that we should remember our baptism daily. In other words, he's really saying every day we... Are, I mean, we're not literally baptized with water again. We, we don't need to be. But every day we, we drown the old Adam and we ask God, raise me up a new person. That's this kind of language. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. Bathe me. Uh, I know, he says, verse 3, my transgression and my sin, it's ever before me. It never stops. It's always there. And I also know that that sin is against you. I've always appreciated these words against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Um, Yeah, David gets it. He understands that, that authentic, authentically following God is not standing up in front of God saying, Oh God, I I love you with my whole heart and I'm going to serve you today. Authentic Christianity is standing in front of God and saying, I'm a mess. And actually, I wake up this morning, I need to be drowned <laughs> because I'm, I, I'm actually going to get stuck in sin again today unless you rise, raise me up. And uh, and then you get to what I call just that recreative language in verse 10, which as part of our, our church's longstanding liturgy. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You know, just think about those words create in me a clean heart it's not help me God and I'll have a, a a heart a clean heart it's not that it's not if you give me a little help here God then I can make it I can do it it's create in me a clean heart it's a creative work and so what God does daily our daily rhythm as Christians is is a rhythm that says okay I need to die to sin and be raised up new with a heart that looks like Jesus's and he closes that out. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me that joy. You know, that joy that Paul's talking about. Of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. So I, I've always said, hey, psalm, psalm 51 would not be a bad psalm to begin each day with. Just that recognition that, Lord, today, here, create a clean heart in me. Make me, make me new. Uh, that, for me, is authentic Christianity because it doesn't pretend to have the ability to work with God in some way towards doing what He's called us to do. It acknowledges, no, I need you to create that heart within me. And then out of that comes that life that says, I am living now with God. You shift gears in chapter 8. Thank you, Jesus, that you shift gears. Towards what? Towards recognizing... That um, as we become cleansed, as we have that new heart within us, we become new persons. Again, the the rhythm is daily. Um, I want you to look at the genius of Paul. I I kind of, when I start chapter 8, I always make a mental note to myself. My mental note is this. Thank God you don't have to debate St. Paul. Thank God you don't. Now, what he does here in verses one and two to me is genius. And then I stop myself. I go, Of course it's genius. It's like the Holy Spirit's speaking through him. What do you think? But re- before you read it, think about this with me. Chapter seven and chapter eight, they're contextualized over against a charge that's being made against Paul. What is the charge? Always remember the charge. You, you, Paul, and your Christians, what? have taken the law and abandoned it, right? So this, this whole time, he's trying to help us understand what is the role of the law in the Christian's life. You Christians are all about grace and mercy and peace and love. What about the law? are you supposed to keep the law? Paul's been responding to that. And what's he been saying? Oh, the law is good, but here's the problem with the law. I can't do it. In fact, I don't even want to do it. Here's the law, it's good, I delight in it. Then guess what? I'm captive to this other problem. My, I'm, I'm a slave to my sin. Okay. That's what I'm going to call the Jewish use of the term law. Now, what Paul does here is he shifts from a Jewish mindset towards a Roman mindset. If I'm speaking to someone who is Roman, Greco-Roman, in that, and I talk to them about. Laws, what am I talking about? Well, not just political, systemic laws. We're talking about what laws of nature. See the difference between the two? How is he speaking here as chapter 8 begins? We started over here. Jewish language, the law. The codification of the Ten Commandments. Now watch what happens. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Roman. See the shift in mindset? Now we're back to this. If I drop this coffee cup, what will happen? That's the law of nature. It'll crash to the ground. Here's what he's saying. He's taken this whole thing about the law and he now shifts over and he goes, here's what I want to talk to you about. Here's a law. If you, if you live in the spirit of life, it will set you free. That's a law. It's like the law of nature. If I'm living in the spirit and the spirit is giving me life, here, here's what I can guarantee you. It'll set me free in Christ Jesus from what? From the law of sin and death. Now we're back to the Jewish law. That law, the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, if I try to live in it, apart from the Spirit, apart from Jesus Christ, guess what it'll do for me? It'll kill me. It'll condemn me. It'll separate me forever from Jesus Christ. And so let me give you a new law. What does it look like to live in the Spirit Because here's what happens is when you're living in the spirit, you're set free from that law. You don't say to yourself, that law is no good. You don't say to yourself, that law is bad. But guess what? It can no longer, it doesn't kill you anymore. I do works. Let's just use that term. I do works. Now, not out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of earning God's righteousness. I do them. Why? Because the spirit's in me. It's created a new heart in me. I delight in it. I find myself going, this is how I want to live. And um, it's always been interesting to me when you when you meet people who are just living out uh, a life where, you know what, the Spirit has birthed in me, this sense of what it means to just serve Jesus with everything in me. And all of a sudden, you look at them, you're like, wow, what what is in you? What's the Spirit? The Spirit is in that person and at work. And it's a spirit of joy. It's not... Uh, I think sometimes you, 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 know, you picture, I'm going to give you the law. like, you're going to do this and you're going to obey me. No, it's a, it's a joyous living out of the things of God. And uh, so Paul has really made this shift. He's, he's reframed the idea of law and kind of said, here, let's talk about this law. What would it mean for you to live under the spirit of life? You're going to be set free from that law that cannot save you verse 3 for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit period run on sentence why do you do that Paul (laughs) I always feel bad for people who have to read this, these passages in church. They're like, <gasps> he said a lot, right? Um, what's kind of interesting to me is he, he's talking about Jesus Christ coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. Um, I don't know if this will make sense to you or not, but I always play with these words. There's two words that you're going to find utilized throughout the scriptures that refer to the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. The first one is this one, homoousias. What it means is the same substance. When you speak the two apostolic, Nicene creeds in church, what are you saying about Jesus Christ? You're saying Jesus Christ is the same substance, being of the same substance with God was God, right? Jesus is God. He's the same substance, okay? When you talk about Jesus in the flesh, here, here's where heresy has kind of grown up in the church going all the way back to the first century. There are people who say, well, Jesus was God. You know, he was, he was God. But he only appeared like he was human, he wasn't really flesh. Okay, the word for that is homeomatis, a likeness to. Now, here's where you can get stuck. If you take Jesus and you turn him into somebody who's God, yes, but not really man, guess what? We're still stuck in our sin. We're still in it. Because the law required that a man die for the sins of man. This is why Jesus has, has to have two natures. That's why we say Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He has to be fully God, what? To raise up from the dead, to take our sins upon Himself. He has to be fully man, why? Because a man has to receive the, the, the penalty of sin. He has to die for that sin. So people will get tripped up on this particular verse that we just looked at because the word that's being used here is homeomatis, likeness to, not homeousis there's a reason for that notice what he says he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh Jesus comes he is flesh he is homoousias same substance as us fully man does Jesus really did he could he really be tempted yes Did he really cry yes I mean when when does he really feel pain when he's on that cross yes he's fully man so why does he use the term homeomatis here in the likeness? of? Because he's saying in the likeness of sinful flesh. Remember, Jesus is the only flesh-born human being who enters the world sinless. Only human being that enters the world sinless apart from Adam and Eve when they were created by God. And so he's really just trying to make the point here through through his language that Jesus Christ comes and he comes in the likeness of our flesh. It's really, his intent is to say, he, he is someone who could sin, right, but does not. Could sin, but does not. He lives the life we're unable to live for us. By doing that, both living the life that we could not live and dying for our sin, the, the result of that is, as he spells it out, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us and we're we're walking what not according to the flesh but according to the spirit so how am I going to live I'm going to live in the flesh I am but I'm going to live according to the law of the spirit who's producing in me again just that desire to live out uh, the good things of God um, I'll just close with verse 5 and then we'll, we'll kind of round back up around that next week He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. Turn on your TV. Watch it for 10 minutes. That's all you need. Answer this question. Do you see people living for the flesh? I'm like, oh my goodness. For those who live according to the flesh, we're talking about people apart from God their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. When I'm talking to people, you're, you're one of two things. You're, you're either either God has has made you his own and each in this particular day you are you're being raised up anew and your minds are set on the things of God or you're stuck. You actually believe that you can achieve some kind of health or hope through the things of this world, and you set your mind on those things, and you cannot. And I, I contend that one of the values of, of Romans is, boy, we are living in a world where so many are stuck, just living in that sense of, I'm going to find fulfillment in the world. You will not. You will not. Let's close there. Let me pray. Lord, as we uh, close out this morning, just want to give you thanks. These are our deep words, but they take us back to the roots of what it means to belong to you, to live in you, to find a daily rhythm that acknowledges who we are and that uh, cries out, uh, cries out, who will set me free. That clings to you because you alone do set us free. And in that, Lord, um, give us a spirit, your spirit, that births within us a desire, a beautiful desire to live out uh, life in the way that you've called us to set our minds upon things of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, guys, again for coming bright and early in the morning. This is working out better than seven a.m. I got to say that. So, uh, thank you. Again.